This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Double Tap Canada. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of Double Tap Canada. I will be your host this week. My name is Tim Schwartz. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us. Now, you might be wondering, wait, Tim's hosting again. Where is Stephen Scott? Well, more on that in a moment. But first, let me introduce to you my partner in crime, my co-host and editor extraordinaire, Sean Priest. Hello, Sean. I love it when you do my intro, Tim. It makes me, uh, I don't know, feel more confident. Good to be here, Tim. And it's good that you're hosting. Uh, thank you so much, Sean. Yeah, I try to bring a, a, a little bit of positivity, a, a lighter feel to the show when I'm hosting. Yeah, we're not used to that with Stephen. Yeah, I don't know how many episodes in a row we had so much just negativity from Stephen to open up the show. My goodness. But that's okay. We're, we're here. We're positive. We're happy. And we're going to have a great show. I hope. So anyway, I mentioned that Stephen Scott is not here, as you can tell. Now, he, he tells us that he's had a lot of things going on. He's been very busy doing busy AMI stuff. Nothing that we can talk about. All hush-hush, confidential things that, that he's working on behind the scenes. And he's gotten very, very busy. And now he says he's traveling to London uh, in, in the coming days. Sean, I believe some of this, but not all of it, especially considering we've been recently contacted by a listener to, well, take Stephen the task on his opinions on Narrator for Windows. Where do you think Stephen truly is? No, I think he has gone into hiding. I think he's ducking the angry listeners and uh, quite right, too. I think it's about time he got some comeuppance. But no, it was an interesting um, conversation to be had. And we are actually going to have this conversation when Stephen comes back next week in in full. But I thought it'd be quite interesting to get our listeners, your views on this. So the argument is that, as you know, actually, Tim, I think you should be thrown under the bus with this as well, because both you and Stephen have been promoting narrator. Uh, in the the past months, you've been saying that Narrator has improved and it is now a really good option. And I'll be honest, you, you're you're right. There's been a lot of improvements, particularly with the latest Windows 10 update. And Narrator has uh, got faster and, and more functionality. But one of our listeners was having a conversation with Stephen and saying that she actually thinks that promotion of let's say narrator, but it could be any free screen reader, really, NVDA, let's say, actually can do a disservice to people in employment because it's not actually fully featured enough that it could um, cope with someone's work environment. I think that was the general gist of the argument. Um, I don't know where I stand on that. I suppose it does really depend on what sort of job you do because if you are let's say uh doing a lot of word processing in in microsoft office um i think narrator could probably get you through fine on that but i suppose there is no denying that jaws which is of course the 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 go-to option when it comes to employment whether that is right or wrong it is the go-to option i mean it has great support via scripting so if you do use an app uh, for work that maybe isn't 
that accessible, let's say, out of the box or by default, then the ability to write scripts to add more accessibility to it is a great is a great feature and something that Jules uh, has a you know, a really long history with. There's so many scripts out there for so many different bits of software. Now, you know, I I, I think I'm not entirely sure how convincing that argument is now i I would argue that nvda which you know i'll put my cards on the table is my favorite screen reader um (laughs) i think nvda is very powerful and um i've encountered no problems with it but the caveat to that is that i'm not using it really in a what would be a, a normal work environment you know i'm not forever going through spreadsheets with it or or trying to use some sort of uh, weird bespoke call logging system or something like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it is an interesting argument. Is the promotion, by promoting something like Narrator and saying, you know what, don't worry about other screen readers, use Narrator, use what comes for free. Is that actually doing people a disservice? Should we be saying that something like Jules is actually probably the best way to go if you're looking at a employment aspect? I'm not entirely sure. You know, Sean, one of the many, many things I love about you, and there are many, of course, course. is that you said a moment ago, I don't know where to stand on this, and yet you continued on to explain exactly (laughs) where you stood on this. And I will have to say, I know where not to stand on this, like I know not to stand all the time, and that's close to the curb because the bus always seems to come my way. (laughs) So I will stand far away from the curb, although we we see who's hosting the show this week, speaking of being thrown under the bus. Anyway, no, I, I think that you make a lot of good points there, Sean. And and the listener that spoke to Stephen about this uh, made a lot of great points about this as well. And we, we are hoping to perhaps maybe be able to bring said listener on next week when Stephen comes back so that he can be confronted properly with this topic. But yeah, in the, in the meantime, uh, just to tease it a little bit, you're right. There could be concerns there, Sean, when you're talking about free software, free applications like NVDA, like VoiceOver even really for the Mac and, of course, Narrator on Windows. Yeah. And an employer could very easily say, well... These are free. Why do you need this other program? What's this JAWS that you say you need? Why do we need to get this for you when it costs several hundreds of dollars? Why do we do that when when all these other ones are free and and you can just launch them automatically right here on the computer for for nothing? This will do. You know, I've had an experience once with an employer when I had some vision left when I still was using like a handheld magnifier to be able to read small print on things. And the one I had broke and it wasn't that expensive to replace one, but I didn't have the money at the time. I went to the employer to ask them to purchase a new one. At first they said, no, we're, we're not doing that. That's not our you know, position. That's not our place to buy you something. Yeah. I said, well, you might find that the law says otherwise. Oof. The general manager went and talked to their human resources department and came back tail between his legs and said, yeah, well, they said we do have to purchase you a new magnifier. Um, so, okay. Okay, because I even said, well, you get a tax credit for hiring people with disabilities. And he actually said to my face, well, that's not what that money is for. I'm like, actually, that's exactly what that tax tax credit is for, because you hired a person with a disability and you may infer or you know have other costs associated to that. So, yeah, that's exactly what it's for. So he sent me to... The pharmacy, this was actually a grocery store where I was working at the time in, in a long time ago. He said, go to the pharmacy. We sell magnifiers down there. Go pick one out. Oh, okay. 
those are one X magnifiers. I was using one that was like 10 or 12 X specially yeah. purchased at the local association for the blind. So obviously that wasn't going to work, but it's just that ignorance. It's that misunderstanding the idea of, well, you said you needed a magnifier. That's a magnifier. Isn't that going to work for you? And so I could see the point of someone saying, well, I go to an employer, whether I'm getting the job right off the bat or I've already been working there, I now need or do need a screen reader. And they say, well, you said you needed a screen reader. That one's free. It doesn't cost us anything. It's a screen reader. It should do what you need. Why do we yep. have to spend hundreds of dollars? So I can see that argument and understand that. Of course, that means that we need more advocacy to say, well, but here's what JAWS will do for me that maybe these others won't do. Now, that being said, you can, as you full well know, Sean, you can add things to NVDA. You can get add-ons that may not always necessarily involve getting something for a specific business application. I don't know how involved or difficult that might be. I do know that Microsoft announced earlier this year that coming soon, probably by the end of this year, they are looking at adding scripts to uh, Microsoft Narrator, very similar to JAWS. So basically scripts that you mentioned before is a way to make JAWS work with an application. And it's like a third-party script or even a script that Freedom Scientific makes themselves in order to make JAWS work with something. And so if Microsoft is truly going to give script support, that may help some of this debate, some of this argument. But I think it is something that definitely is valid because no matter where we live, whether it's me here in the United States, you there in the United Kingdom, or all of our listeners out there in Canada, we're all familiar with the law because we feel we need to be to be our own advocates, or at least we should be. And a lot of us know that there are programs, either private or government programs, that can help us in purchasing these things. So it's not always up to the employer, but it can be. And so it's just about knowing our rights, knowing the laws, knowing the rules, and knowing the differences. So I think this is something that we will definitely be talking about more in the coming weeks. But like I said, especially next week when Stephen comes back, and hopefully we'll be able to get that listener on the line and talk with them and have them uh, <laughs> call out Stephen some more on, on his uh, theories on narrator. And yes, I know, I know I have the same theories and opinions. But Don't distance yourself, it's, Tim. It's more fun to put Stephen under the bus. I, <laughs> Lord knows I'm put under the bus enough, but we've got to put him under the bus a little bit. Yeah, well, that's true. Yes, there's nothing like torturing Stephen. But um, Torture Stephen, just tell him he can't go to a buffet. That's torturing Stephen. <laughs> yes, I'm sure he's there right now, believe me. But we really do want to hear your opinions on this. Is Jules really the best option when it comes to employment, or is it really down to the task you're trying to perform? So let us know. Send us your emails, feedback at ami.ca. That's right, Sean. I'm really interested to hear what other listeners have to say about this, because I know employment is obviously such a major issue to us in the blind and visually impaired community. And so I'm sure so many people have opinions about this. So like Sean said, feedback at ami.ca or look us up online. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Double Tap Canada. Also, we have a website. You might have heard about that, doubletap.online, where recently, Sean, Double Tap Online, plus Facebook, Twitter slash Periscope, and even YouTube, last week, we were all live during the WWDC event. We talked about this a little bit last week on the show, and I want to just thank everybody again who participated. I went back and looked at all the numbers, and we had some respectable numbers on all three platforms, Periscope, YouTube, and Facebook, being our first time, being that we really didn't tell a whole lot of people we were going to do this. <laughs> there were 
quite a number of people that participated, a lot of people that were chatting with us live during the, the WWDC keynote address. And we're hoping to do this a lot more. We, we think it went pretty well, at least I think it did, minus a couple little technical snafus. But otherwise, it went pretty well and it was a lot of fun. It was, yeah. And actually, you know, going from audio to video is always a bit scary when most of the people in it can't actually see the screen. <laughs> so it's always a bit scary, but it was actually pretty easy to do. And yeah, I was quite excited by it. I'll admit, you know, this Facebook Live and YouTube Live and Periscope, you think uh, it's it's all a bit... I'm not entirely sure if it's for us, but it was really easy to do. We use Zoom uh, to do the conference call and then just stream it out. And yeah, it's something I think we should definitely revisit. I don't know, you know how often we'll do it, but um, I, I liked it. Yeah, I really liked it. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. We've been talking about doing something like that for such a long time, trying to decide if it would have any kind of benefit to us and to the show, and especially to the listeners. Is there any benefit that we can provide extra by doing something like that, whether it's covering WWDC, whether it's just going on YouTube or these other platforms and just talking about the show or things that are going on with AMI or other things going on in technology, a lot of things that we can't get to maybe in a one-hour show. And so it, it does have some possibilities and i am hopeful that we will be able to do more of that going forward so for anybody out there who joined us thank you again and if you want to join us again in the future and you want to see more of those things again feedback at ami.ca let us know if you would be interested in seeing more of us live boy i, I, I know Yeesh. that sounded wow. wrong that sounded yeah, like something know. Stephen would say well, I, I meant it in the nicest, best possible way where Stephen may not have. So moving right along, Sean, we'll get right past that. Speaking of WWDC, there were a few other things that came out as the week progressed, things that happened as or after we had been on the air last week. And Stephen wrote up a nice article that you can find at DoubleTap.online about these things that are all related to accessibility from Apple. And I thought we'd just take a few minutes here to talk about some of these things. So, Sean, there's been some announcements from Apple after the keynote about some different things that could make a greater impact on voiceover and the way accessibility works on an iPhone. Well, yeah. I mean, it seems like the uh, head of accessibility there has been doing the rounds. Uh, I think she was on the Apple Viz podcast. Yeah, she's um, been busy. Which is always a great sign. You know, when these when these heads of accessibility, when the companies themselves are happy to come out and talk to the community, you know, that's a fantastic sign. We've seen a lot of that from uh, Jenny LaFleur at Microsoft, uh, really embracing the community and, and willing to talk to us, which is fantastic and i gotta say after wwdc you know just while i was watching the event and just after there is that slight feeling of wow what what have we got here you know it, it, it's sometimes it can be slightly disappointing because it's feature after feature after feature and, and as you said last week tim it's sometimes it's so small features you think does that really make a difference it's not really exciting but you put them all together and it, it does become exciting now I was talking to someone recently and something they brought up, which I didn't know about and I think is is really great. Now, this really isn't, I suppose, accessibility, but it's something I do use quite a lot. And that is the Siri shortcuts. 
Um, there's been a lot of work done on the shortcuts in iOS 13, and now it is actually part of the operating system itself rather than a separate app. Of course, the shortcuts app is still there, but the actual core of shortcuts is now more embedded in the system. And what this means is that you're able to, well, currently, if you run a shortcut, it loads up the shortcuts app. And it runs it from there. And that can be a little bit distracting. And it, it, it sort of takes away from the, I don't know, the um, the fluidity of shortcuts. Because it comes out of whatever you're in now, opens the shortcuts app, runs the shortcut, and things like that. Well, now shortcuts can run in the background. Um, so you don't necessarily have to have some new app open up, which is fantastic. Also, you can now assign triggers to run shortcuts. Before, you could just ask Siri or run the shortcut itself from the Shortcuts app. Well, now you can have a trigger, so you could have something like a schedule or even some sort of smart device, some HomeKit device to uh, trigger a shortcut. Again, fantastic. And uh, another feature which I think could be really useful is that you can now interact with a shortcut. So you can have uh, dialogue boxes and you can branch off into different directions, which is something that was really missing, I thought, when Shortcuts first came out. So you could run a shortcut in Siri, and now Siri will ask you, you know, what sort of uh, option do you want? And it can give you a list, and you can respond in that, and then the shortcut will continue. Um, and I think they're not major changes, but I think it will make the whole shortcut experience just just a lot nicer and a lot easier to use, which is always a good thing. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Sean. Shortcuts as it is now is so nice, and you and I talk this up all the time. Stephen just can't stand it. <laughs> Thankfully, since he's not here, we can mention it, because if he were here, we'd just be hearing, boring, stupid, I don't care. But as you said, having it be able to run now in the background and not be so... In your face. It's kind of like what they're doing visually with the volume control and the mute control with iOS 13. Instead of it being this big, huge control that's just in your face right in the middle of the screen, preventing you from doing anything else till it goes away, they're, they're moving it off to the side and it's going to be a little bit less intrusive. And to be able to have shortcuts do this, uh, to this I say it's about time. I, I'm so happy to have shortcuts run in the background, to be able to do different things with it, have triggers with it, and have it work better with accessibility features, just to be able to have all of this integrated right into the iOS. I have a feeling this is actually going to work well with the voice control feature that they mentioned at WWDC, which is where basically our whole show fell apart when we were broadcasting live. They said the word accessibility and we all just went crazy because they said accessibility on, on the live keto. It was, it was amazing. Um, but yeah, with, with voice control combined with some of the updates to Siri and the voice of Siri now being much better, being much more interactive and human-like, and these updates to shortcuts, I think that the usability of the phone is going to get so much better. And I say that from an accessibility standpoint because, of course, people who are blind aren't always just blind. There are so many other things that could be going on, or maybe you know somebody who isn't blind, but maybe they have motor skill issues, or they have something like Parkinson's or some other sort of issue where they need to speak to a phone, or they need shortcuts in order to do different operations within the phone, or, yeah. or whatever the reason. So this, to me, as you mentioned, is an accessibility feature, even though the shortcuts may not necessarily be listed that way or presented 
presented that way. I think that it, it can fall under accessibility, just as they talked about with voice control. I take a breath. Yeah, and, and okay. of course, voice control is an interesting one, and I'm really interested to see how that works and how that uh, sort of combines with voice voiceover. Even if it will do, I'm not entirely sure. And I've got confidence that it will, because I would really love to use that feature. Voice controlling uh, the iPhone while it's in my pocket is something that I think would be fantastic. Uh, but of course, if it if it causes problems with voiceover when you're trying to pick from a no- a numbered list then uh, that's just going to end up being annoying because you've got to wait while voiceover reads the entire list out but we will see um, voice control is definitely interesting yeah it could end up being way too verbose where it's reading an entire list and you have to wait as you said yeah but if it's done right and if it does make it simpler to use the phone to be able to just say hey you know who yo yo siri will say um and and be able to do that through my bluetooth device perhaps and talk to the phone while it's in my pocket or or whatever charging and still be able to talk to it through the bluetooth and voice control and do things that'd be fantastic it it almost sounds really really lazy that said (laughs) It can be a benefit. I can see so many instances where that will come in handy for me. And like we said, for people with motor skill or or other issues, this could be a big deal. I I have a family member who has Parkinson's and suffers from shakes and things like that with their hands. I could see voice control being something very beneficial to him because if he has issues with his hand shaking, trying to tap or swipe or something like that could be an issue. You know, so to be yep. able to just talk to his phone and control everything will be fantastic. So I really like what, what Apple is doing. They're really just taking accessibility and, and taking it up a big notch. And we haven't even talked about some of the other things that have been mentioned. Now, Sean, you and I can't independently confirm this, but Stephen <laughs> alleges, he claims that this is absolutely true. The rumor is that Apple is going to upgrade the next iOS with voiceover to allow you to customize individual gestures, very similarly to how you can do on the Android. Yeah, which is something I really love about Android, as people may or may not know that I've thrown away my iPhone, well, at least for the last few weeks. But um, yeah, I'm using the Pixel 3 and Android Q. And I think the customized gestures uh, feature is fantastic. I really do like that. And if voiceover gets that, I think that can uh, only be a good thing. And um, uh, of course, you do run the risk of, well, you know, you're sort of getting away from the standard user uh sort of you can't tell people how to do things because maybe they've changed their gestures and it can make things a little bit more confusing if you're trying to help someone or show someone how to do something if voiceover on one device works differently than it does on another but i don't know i think that's a that's a minor negative and i think the positive of being able to customize your gestures to how you want it to work is a great thing so yeah i'm hoping that's right but i haven't been able to tie that down yet to any um concrete news stories yeah, I'm a bit conflicted on this one because on the one hand, I want there to be a standard. We've talked about that on Double Tap 
previously. We talked about having a universal standard for voiceover or screen readers, kind of like the Unicode and emoji standards that are out there where it's all agreed upon so that it works across different devices and platforms. And I'd really like to see that happen where you can pick up an Android phone or an iPhone or, or whatever and turn on the screen reader that's built into it and just use it and know these are the gestures. At the same time, I'm also all about customization, and I would love to see this actually come to the iPhone. I know that you and Steven have both enjoyed the customization of talkback gestures on Android, and I can see the benefits of that, especially with the introduction of some of the new gestures in iOS 13, where uh, there'll be different swipes for undo text and, and pasting and things like that, copy and paste. And so that may interfere with other voiceover gestures, and we don't know exactly how that's going to work yet. So to be able to change gestures as you see fit to make them make more sense for you. I'm all for that. But I, I, like I said, I'm just conflicted because I want a standard, but I want customization at the same time. So <laughs> I, I just cake and eat it, Tim. What's I the matter do. with you? I always want my cake and eat it too. Absolutely. <laughs> and what do you mean you don't know how it works yet? Have you not installed iOS 13 beta? I have not because I'm not spending $100 a year to be a developer when I don't have an app to develop uh, in order to do that. But as soon as the public beta is available, I will probably install that on my phone. I did last year, and it worked out fantastic. So, yeah, as soon as the public one is available, I will be installing it and trying it out. I'm sure you've already got the beta, though. No, because I've gone to Android and the Pixel 3, which is beautiful. Beautiful. But actually, that does bring something, uh, a, a story I recently saw with the um, the possibility that the next iPhone will be USB-C instead of Lightning port, which would be fantastic because I hate the, the fact, and going back to standards, I hate the fact that, you know, have you got a charger for an iPhone? Have you got a charger for this? A, a standard universal charger and USB-C is exactly that. It's got every advantage that lightning ports had in the past. And, and I will say that Apple were absolutely right to switch to lightning from that old 30 pin uh, cable that we used to have because yes. lightning did offer so much, um, so much more. It just even the ability just to plug it in any way round is for me is great. But now with USB C, I think that it's it's more and more difficult to justify the reason for the lightning port. I mean, the data speed, the power it can supply. Um, again, plugging it in any which way. Uh, USB-C is great. And there was a, a leak that someone delving into iOS 13, uh, when they looked at the picture that comes on screen, I can't remember what they call it, a pictograph or something like that. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a picture of the iPhone cable uh, when you're in recovery mode. So it's basically telling you, plug in your cable and connect to the computer. Well, the picture on the screen is actually a USB-C cable rather than a lightning cable. So, I mean, I don't know how much you can take from that, but I think it's great. Now, there are rumors that it's not going to be until 2020, the switch over to uh, to USB-C from Lightning. But if we do see it in iOS, sorry, in the iPhone 11, then I would be really happy. I'd, I'd 
I know usually people don't like the switching of hardware because you've got to buy all new stuff, but I think USB-C is definitely the way to go, and I think it's about time that Apple switched over. Yeah, I think it's long past time that they switch over. I, I did agree with the update to Lightning. I'm one of the few people that don't miss the headphone jack. I know, I know, controversy. <laughs> but that said, I, I don't miss it. I, I don't have a need for it. And so I, I would be very interested to see them switch to USB-C. And having that universal standard, I think that that is something where we do need a universal standard and we don't need this proprietary type of port on each different phone. So I think that one definitely makes sense. One last thing I want to cram in here before we go to break, Sean, is something that isn't a rumor that Apple said is going to be happening is something that we didn't really get a chance to talk about a lot last week. And that's the sound detection feature that's going to be available not just on Apple Watch, which I think is fantastic, but also on our iPhone. So basically, there'll be a built-in feature that'll use the speaker of your Apple Watch and your iPhone to detect the noise around you, the decibel range of noise around you, and tell you if it's too loud, if it could be possibly damaging your ears, and let you know you know, what's going on. So if you need to turn down music or get out of a loud environment, and I bring that up as an accessibility feature, because to me, as someone who has lost my vision or people that are blind and visually impaired, your hearing is so important and keeping our ears safe and healthy can be so important. And so to be able to have something right there on my wrist or right there in my pocket, that's going to detect the decibel level around me and say, you know what, this is way too loud just to let you know, you may want to step out of here or turn down the volume or, or whatever. To me, I think that's a really important feature. Yeah, I don't know. It's nothing I've really thought about before, but I mean, it does make total sense. And it, it's, it seems like it's going to be quite clever as well. It's not a case of, oh, there's a loud noise. I better flash up a warning on the screen that it will be more of a, okay, there's a sustained loud noise and uh, that could cause problems or damage to your hearing and, i mean as everyone knows we do have being blind we do have superhero level hearing anyway but of course we do yes <laughs> i am finding as i creep ever ever older that um my hearing is getting slightly dodgy um so i think this is a, a yeah as you said there's no no negative to this it is a great feature i didn't know it was actually on the iphone as well which is uh cool i'm, I'm just wondering how they do this because you would think it would always have to be listening uh and you know what people are like for privacy concerns and yes. what, how would that affect battery life so um yeah i don't know it i'll be honest with you it's a feature i never really i sort of dismissed but it's one of those again it's one of those minor features when you first hear it but put it together with everything else and when you actually dive into it you think you know what that's that's really cool yeah, they keep doing this with all these features when the Apple Watch came out and it's, well, we'll detect your heart rate and let you know if it's too high. And then last year, well, we'll tell you if your heart rate gets too low. And then, well, now we'll do this EKG or ECG feature, which, by the way, is now available in Canada, thankfully. Yep. And you know, we'll let you know if you have you know a tachycardic rhythm. Things that we wouldn't have thought about, but then they implement it and we go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Thanks. <laughs> that's very helpful. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see, like you said, how this might affect battery life, if it's going to have to always be on to be listening, and, and if that's going to be a problem. But hopefully that'll be worked out, and we'll find out more about that in the months to come. Well, Sean, we've reached the end of the first half of the show. We need to take a break. But coming up afterward, we'll have another edition of Tim's Bits. <laughs> this week, I'll be talking with you about how to get started with Braille screen input on the iPhone. 
And then later we'll talk a little bit about Google, about FlickType, and so many other things coming up on this episode of Double Tap Canada. Double Tap Canada. Double Tap Canada. And welcome back to Double Tap Canada. Now, it is time for everyone's favourite segment. It's Tim's Bits. There are so many different ways that you can enter text into your iPhone. You can, of course, use standard touch typing, dictation, third-party apps like FlickType, or even use third-party hardware devices to input text using Braille. But did you know that Apple has a built-in accessibility feature that allows you to enter text using an on-screen Braille keyboard? Well, it does, and here's how to get started with it. To enable Braille screen input on your iPhone, simply open your Settings app, navigate to General, then Accessibility, then VoiceOver, and then Rotor. Once you are in the Rotor options, scroll down the list until you find Braille screen input and select it. You can move Braille screen input up and down the list in order to reorder it depending on where you want it to appear within your rotor options. If you move Braille screen input to the very top of the list, it will always appear as the very first option when you turn your rotor immediately clockwise. Now that you have enabled Braille screen input on your iPhone, you will want to set your default code. To do this, open Settings, navigate to General, Accessibility, VoiceOver, and then Braille. Once you are in the Braille section, look for the button labeled Braille Screen Input. Note that the currently selected code will show up next to the Braille Screen Input button. Select this button and you can now choose from a list of uncontracted or contracted Braille codes. You are now set up to use Braille Screen Input on your iPhone. Simply press three fingers from your left hand and three fingers from your right hand together on the screen of your iPhone. The device may ask you to calibrate where your fingers are placed for better accuracy. To begin using Braille screen input, you'll either need to be on the home screen, in a web browser, or be editing a text field. Then simply turn the rotor until you hear Braille screen input. Once you have switched to Braille screen input, you'll be told the current input mode, the type of Braille in use, and that you are now in landscape mode. When you are on the home screen, you can type the first letter of an app in order to bring up a list of apps that begin with that letter. And when you are in a web browser, you can type letters like H for headings or B for buttons in order to navigate more easily through the headings, buttons, or other types of content within the web page. There are also many gestures that you'll want to become familiar with when using Braille input mode. A one-finger swipe right will input a space. A one-finger swipe to the left will delete the most recent character typed. A one-finger swipe up or one-finger swipe down will access typing suggestions, will also access the apps that you are looking for on your home screen, or access the different types of content when you are on a website. A two-finger swipe to the left will delete the previous word, and a two-finger swipe to the right will create a new line. In contracted mode only, you can swipe down with two fingers to immediately translate the current word. Swiping with three fingers to the left or to the right will toggle between contracted and uncontracted braille. If you press and hold one finger on the screen for just a couple of seconds, 
This will enter explore mode, which will allow you to explore around the screen with one finger in order to find the placement of the different dots. If you engage the rotor gesture and move either clockwise or counterclockwise to any other rotor option, this will automatically exit braille screen input mode. And finally, by using the two finger scrub gesture, which is done by using two fingers and moving them back and forth in the shape of a Z, will automatically exit Braille screen input mode as well. And now you are ready to begin using the built-in Braille screen input features of the iPhone. Ah, Braille. It's something we don't cover enough on this show. I know that, but that was fantastic, Tim. Thank you. I suppose we don't cover it enough because in the case of me and you, Tim, we just, we're not experts at Braille or even beginners. We just don't use it. Um, Stephen is, though. Stephen is still learning Braille and he's doing really well. He's enjoying it. Um, but when I was having a few lessons, very basic, you know, grade one Braille, I did use the uh, iOS Braille screen input to practice. And I've got to say, I was really surprised. Even after just a few lessons, I was able to get a decent speed, you know, actually sending text messages using the Braille input method was faster than using the on-screen QWERTY keyboard, which I just never expected. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, the most efficient and fastest way to enter text into the device. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and in my research for that segment of Tim Spitz, I talked with a lot of people online in different forums and on Varel, people who use it all the time. And they said that, that it is faster than using the regular on-screen keyboard. And they love it. They love the implementation of it. Many of them do also use the hardware version of a Braille screen keyboard. So they can plug that right into their, their phone or iPad or have it you know via Bluetooth and use a hardware Braille screen keyboard. But to have the actual braille screen input right there on screen and just be able to know okay this is where each button is this is what i need to press and if you're familiar with typing that way yeah it can be extraordinarily fast and like i said so many people that i talk to really enjoy it so if i ever get back to my braille lessons which i took many years ago and didn't get very far but i'm hoping to maybe someday get back to that i i will probably use this quite a bit and i know like you said you you tinkered with it just a little bit. Steven is still learning his Braille and, and we'll probably use it a little bit. But yeah, I'm so happy to see things like this. And I wanted to put this edition of Tim Spitz out there because as people know, with iOS 13 coming up in the next several months, the accessibility area of your settings is going to be moved to a different place. And for all I know, that could change this whole thing. So I wanted to get this edition of Tim Spitz out there so that people could hear at least how to do it now. And if they make changes, then well, I'll update that for you here in a few months. Now, talking about ways to get text into your phone, Sean, our friends over at FlickType, the very popular app amongst the blind community, FlickType, that you can use on your iPhone and really talk about typing faster. As long as you have an understanding of where the keys are on a standard keyboard, you can type so much faster. I probably type three or four times faster using FlickType on my iPhone. Yeah. They have now gone public. This has been beta for a long time, and we've mentioned it briefly here and there, but they have gone public with FlickType on the Apple Watch, Sean. I know, and you hear that and you think, well, that's crazy because the Apple Watch is so small when it comes to the screen. How's it possibly going to work? But I did try. But it does. It, it does. And it works really well. I tried the beta version and I was really surprised. You can, 
you can get a decent speed up a keyboard on a tiny screen it's amazing i haven't haven't installed the uh the actual full app yet but um it's something i'll definitely try yeah, I highly recommend that you do, Sean, because like with the beta, and the beta kind of, it went through its different stages as betas do, you know, it was very hit or miss at the beginning, and trying to get it to even launch was kind of a process, <laughs> but they they took care of all of that, you launch the app right there on your Apple Watch, and yeah, just pretend like that tiny screen is a keyboard, and type where you know or put your finger where you know the, the keys would be on the keyboard and use it just like you would on your iPhone, but just in a much smaller area. And you would think, well, that's going to be extremely difficult. That's going to be so hard. Yeah. I'm never going to be able to type anything. But I respond to text messages now all the time, which before, of course, as people know, with the Apple Watch, you can either dictate or do a voice recording or to send emojis. You can even draw letters on the screen and, and it will write out what you're drawing. And those are all great ways to get text into your Apple Watch. But with FlickType, even on the Apple Watch, I feel like I'm doing it so much faster, just like on the iPhone. And it rarely misses a word. Now, if you miss a word or if it, I should say, if it misses a word, you can swipe up or down and it will suggest other words to you that you might have been trying to type. And more often than not, I don't have to swipe more than once or twice. It gets the word I want. Yep. I go to the next word and, and, and I'm off just like I do on the iPhone. I, I don't want to say I was skeptical about this when I saw the beta testing of it, but as you said, when I, I saw it, I, I was, was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you were, absolutely. And I'm sure Stephen just doesn't even believe it's possible <laughs> if, if he were here. But when I first heard about it, I'm like, what? Wait a minute. They're going to, they, no, they're, what are they, no. <laughs> and then I used it and it's so good. So I just can't say enough positive things about FlickType. Yes, it does have a 99 cents per month subscription to it. There, there has been discussion about maybe them changing that and making that be more a one-time fee or something like that, but they, they haven't changed that yet as far as I've seen. But for your 99 cents a month to get that functionality on your phone and now on your Apple Watch, I, I just think it's fantastic. So well done to them. And uh, I suggest everybody go give it a trial run, test it out, and let us know what you think. Feedback at AMI.ca. Tell us how it works out for you. That's something I actually miss on my switch to Android. I I really do miss flick type. I think it's, it is, it is as you said, it just speeds up typing so much. And I... Yeah, so that's the next one. Please, FlickType developers, I want an Android version. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that they uh, are always looking for a challenge, and I would not put it past <laughs> them to try to put it on Android or Android Wear, although that would be tricky and interesting. But uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. And speaking of Android, Sean, you and Steven have been just, just, just barraging me. Is that a word, barraging? It is now, apparently. It is now. Have just been just... just throwing all this Android love at me, all these things you guys love about Android and the Pixel 3s, and oh, it's just... Sickening. Oh, it, it is sickening. <laughs> it's, it's just offensive and sickening. As I said a couple of weeks ago when, when I was on the Live from Studio 5 spot with Joita and uh, Mike, she was just so disgusted when she heard <laughs> that you guys were loving Android. It was just hypocritical. It was awful. <laughs> That said, you have been researching some of the teases, some of the previews about things coming from Google about the Pixel 4. Yeah, well, I mean, I had to because out of the blue, Google tweeted a picture. Well, kind of, of the Pixel 4. I mean, <laughs> kind of. they actually leaked 
their own upcoming phone, which is a brave move and something I don't think I've seen before. But well done, well, Google. Who better to leak information than the company themselves? And well, why leak it through a, a journalist or a website <laughs> or a blog? Well, you can just do it yourself. Exactly. And it was more of a teaser, really. I think they just tweeted a picture of the camera unit at the, at the back of the Pixel 4. But yeah, so I have switched to the Pixel 3 and I am loving it. It's uh, it's a great phone and uh, I'm not I'm not having any issues <laughs> with the uh, Android Q beta, which I'm using. Um, in fact, I'm not really missing anything, maybe, apart from flick type or seeing AI, but there are alternatives to, uh, mm. to at least seeing AI on Android. <laughs> Um, so I was really interested to read some of the rumors of the upcoming Pixel 4. Of course, we've just had the Pixel 3a released, which is uh, something I'd really like to try out as well. It's the affordable. Basically, it's everything that's in the Pixel 3, well, near enough, um, in a slightly more affordable um, package. So that's the whole reason I started to look at Android, was the affordability of the 3a and my... <clears throat> finding it hard to justify the price of the new iPhones. Um, but going back to the Pixel 4 rumours, uh, there is one really interesting one. Now, all the new iPhones this year are... Sorry, not iPhones. All the new smartphones this year, including the iPhone, uh, they seem to be all doubling down on the cameras. It's all about how many cameras you can get on the back, you know, two, three, four. Um, but one interesting <laughs> thing I did see about the Pixel 4 was the possibility of a new radar chip that's built in google did announce well Ooh. did demo something about this back in 2015 and it was called project i think it's pronounced solly s-o-l-i and basically what this will allow you to do is perform gestures without touching the screen without having any contact with the phone at all now I don't know how excited I am by this because I think we've seen similar things before. Was it with the Samsung where you could do gestures above the screen? And uh, I think there was that time as well where the iPhone touch sensitivity was so high that you didn't even have to touch the screen. And these in the past have never worked very well. But the very fact that there's a dedicated hardware chip or whatever it is, uh, which may be built into the Pixel 4, um, it may mean that there's actually some useful application to this um there was some sort of talk of some commands that were in the android q beta for skipping and pausing media um but that sort of thing really doesn't interest me but you know from an accessibility point of view the ability to interact with the phone without the need to touch it in any specific way i mean it could be some interesting applications there so yeah project solly and the possibility of the next pixel being a radar phone that sounds cool if nothing else the other things are pretty standard as you'd come to expect you know the pixel 4 which is due out sometime in october we think um, we'll have all the standard stuff, as I said, multiple rear cameras and a near bezel-less display. They are saying that it will probably have a on-screen fingerprint sensor. I'm not sure how I feel about that as well when it comes to accessibility. How well do those work? You know, do you know where to place your finger? I quite like the designated area and I know where to feel to, to take the fingerprint sensor. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of the, the rumours I'm hearing around the Pixel 4 are very much in line and, you know, in direct competition to something like the Samsung S10 or the iPhone XX, XX, the iPhone X. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. As I said, the, the Pixel 3 has really, I don't know, 
I'm going to say opened my eyes <laughs> to the possibilities of another phone other than an iPhone. Um, but with all that being said, Tim, I know you were reading something about uh, a possible, was it the True Tone display? Is that what they call it? Yeah, we talked about that before we went on the air. There is a rumor that coming up later this year, the Pixel 4s will have True Tone, which is something that iPhone came out with, I think it was last year or the year before, maybe in the iPhone 10, where it basically can detect the lighting or lack thereof of the environment that you're in and in real time change the color scheme to better match the environment that you're in. So Google is going to basically steal that which they do back and forth to each other so that's not a dig that's just the facts that they both do that to each other but uh this is something that looks like it's going to pop up in the pixel 4 and i don't know if this is an accessibility feature as much or could be looked at as as such however it could be because for somebody who has low vision it might be something that could be easier on the eyes because they could make the colors softer or brighter or dimmer Depending on the environment yeah, that you're in. I don't know. I'm is not that, convinced by truth. Is that a stretch all, maybe? It, yeah, I, I don't know. Having yeah. never seen it, I don't know. But it, it is something that's interesting. I mean, it, It's funny that all these companies are racing to how do we change your colors in real time? How do we implement dark mode across the board? How can we implement a night mode so that it's softer on your eyes at night? All these kinds of yeah. things are such a big deal. And I'm thinking boy, we as blind people or low vision people have been having contrast modes and low vision modes and dark modes <laughs> yeah, for right. 25 years. I remember having CCTVs 20 years ago that had modes like this in it with different color schemes and, and contrasts and things like that. But I think that it's interesting that they are going to implement it. And, you know, eh, it's a good thing, I guess. Well, it just seems like, uh, you know, these companies now are, are looking for the, the whatever they can to give themselves an extra feature because we've, we've come to a point now where the hardware is so similar you know the battery life on most of these phones are very similar and it's all great as is the screens on them and the internet uh, or the the mobile connectivity is all great you know so what is there to distinguish one handset from another there's so many hand uh, manufacturers of handsets now that really it's getting difficult to to find a, a real difference as i said switching from the pixel 3 from the um, iphone now again i'm coming from an iphone 6s which is starting to show its age there's no doubt about that but still you know it's it's they're all thin they're all just basically glass and metal it, it's it's getting really difficult and the performance between them is getting smaller and smaller you know it's not like you pick up most phones and say oh this is really really slow um so it is these software features that are making the difference. I suppose it's something they got to look into. Yeah, Sean, I, I know it might be a pie-in-the-sky kind of thought. However, it may be soon that we might just find smartphones indistinguishable from each other. It probably won't really happen. But to a certain extent, it's nice <laughs> at least to know I can pick up any smartphone, you know, Android or iPhone at least, and know for the most part I'll know how to use it. I will be able to use it because of the built-in features and all the other things are just fluff and fun and whatever, but I know that it will function for me as a person who's blind and visually impaired. Exactly. Now, we do have a little bit more about Android, Sean. So not all iPhone all the time. Uh, we have a little <laughs> bit more love for our Android fanboys out there and fangirls, of course. Here's an email we received from Bilal. Hello, my name is Bilal. 
I am a regular listener to Double Tap Canada and I love it. I just wanted to ask, is anyone using the acapella voices on Android when using TalkBack? I am having problems with changing the voices. I am going into accessibility text to speech settings and I try and switch between voices but I am only hearing the default voice that I selected. For example, I have the English UK female voice installed and I want to switch to English male voice. I am double tapping on male voice but I am hearing the female voice instead of the male voice if you get what I mean. Thank you for that, Bilal, and thanks for loving the show. We we kind of like it. We're we're you know we're we're okay with it. Mm, well, I don't know sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. But um, no, no, thank you so much for that. And yeah, Sean, this is something that I know you have looked into on your Android on your Pixel Three. So changing voices and not being able to get really the voice that he wants, going from male to female. Wow, this is uncanny because I've been having this exact same problem for a while now and I've just solved it recently and completely by accident. But yeah, I totally understand what you're talking about. The Acapella Voices is a separate text-to-speech engine you can install and gives you some extra cool voices you can use. Um, Now, you don't need to go into the accessibility settings or the text-to-speech settings of the phone itself. You can do all this just through the Acapella app. That's assuming, of course, you do need to go to the text-to-speech settings and make sure you've set Acapella as your speech engine. But once you've done that, to select a voice, you do through the Acapella app. So I've got the phone in front of me here. So hang on a second while I unlock it. Home screen two of three. Now, that voice I'm using there is an Acapella voice. I think it's called Lucy. But let's say I want to change it. What I need to do is open up the acapella app so i'm going to bring up the apps list amazon shopping row one column five in grid 16 rows five columns apps list and i'm going to open the acapella app acapella tts voices column three double tap to activate double tap on that acapella tts voices contacting server progress bar acapella tts voices voice manager Now we've got a whole list of the voices you have and the voices at the top are the voices you've actually purchased and installed. Um, So let's pick another voice. So I'm going to go to... English UK, Lucy, voice female, voice installed. English UK, Queen Elizabeth, voice female, voice installed. The Queen. I mean, you can't have anything better than that. So to make this your default voice, you need to... Not just double tap, because that just takes you in circles. You need to double tap and hold. Default voice set. And there we have it. It's the queen on my phone. So there you go, Bilal. I hope that helps. The secret is double tap and hold with one finger, and it will just switch over. Um, It's annoying because it doesn't actually tell you how to do that in the talkback hints. Um, But I found it totally by accident, and it was driving me crazy too. But I hope that helps. Yeah, Sean, I think that was helpful. That was definitely enlightening. It's always interesting to hear a live demonstration right on the radio. And uh, I think that went very well. It's always dangerous. Always dangerous, always scary, (laughs) but always very entertaining. So, yes, Bilal, thank you for that email. I I do hope that that helps you. Let us know if that did. Feedback at AMI.ca. And, again, if anybody else out there has any questions, comments, anything you want to ask us or say to us about the show, again, feedback at AMI.ca. We have a few other emails that we haven't 
haven't been able to get to the last couple of weeks with WWDC and everything else going on. So hopefully when Stephen returns next week, that'll be something else that we can dive into. So get your emails in now and we will be sure to get them on next week's show. Well, Sean, that brings us to the end of yet another wonderful edition of Double Tap Canada. I was so positive. I feel happy and content. It's, it's unusual. It is unusual to uh, <laughs> begin and end a Double Tap episode with happiness, contentness, 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 and positivity. <laughs> so anyway, I want to thank you so much, Sean, for being here with me this hour and helping me through this episode. And thanks again to everyone out there for listening. Be sure to tune in again next week when Stephen Scott will return and maybe we can find out what he's been up to. Hmm, like mm. we have any choice. He's going to tell us either way, even if we don't want to know. We shall find out. out. Be sure to check us out online, doubletap.online for all your accessible technology needs. Look for us on Facebook and Twitter as well at Double Tap Canada. And again, Sean, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. We'll see you again next week here on Double Tap Canada. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.